0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Awabakal, Darug and Eora people. On the evening of Friday, September 16th, 2022, Elon Musk was stressed. His phone had been blowing up with panic texts from Ukraine. Elon Musk, the rocket guy, the eclectic electric car guy, Twitter guy, was being asked to make a decision that could change the fate of the war in Ukraine. You see, at that exact moment, a tiny fleet of Ukrainian remote-controlled boats were skipping over the waves of the Black Sea to blow up a Russian fleet. They were about the size of every boat owned by a suburban dad who parks it outside the house but never uses it. They were black. They had quiet electric engines, and they had explosives inside. Ukraine calls these boats, with this design, sea babies. Their target was the ominously titled Russian Black Sea Fleet, which patrols and protects Crimea, a region the Russians took from Ukraine back in 2014. In a surprise attack in the dead of night, the Ukrainians were going to take the Russian fleet out. So, what does this have to do with Elon Musk? Well, the boats were operated using satellite internet provided by Elon Musk's SpaceX, but they'd hit an unexpected snag. As the sea babies sped towards their target, they reached an invisible fence 100 kilometres off the Crimean coast. SpaceX's Starlink satellites work in Ukraine, where the boats were coming from, but they don't work in Russian controlled Crimea, there. The satellites are disabled. But the Ukrainians didn't realise this until their boats crossed the invisible line and went dark. The Ukrainian Deputy Prime Minister fired off texts directly to Elon Musk, begging him to turn on the satellites and reconnect their boats. But Musk just jumped on Twitter and posted, Starlink is meant for peaceful use only. A few days later, a bunch of sea babies were found washed up on the Crimean coast. Any chance of a surprise attack was gone. So how did we get into a situation where Elon Musk gets to personally decide whether a Ukrainian military operation succeeds or fails? And was he justified? in refusing to help Ukraine attack Russia. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is If You're Listening. So, the internet. It is, as a US Senator once put it.
0: It's not a big truck, it's it's a series of tubes.
1: But in a war zone, it's often difficult to connect to those tubes. So you need invisible space tubes. Here's what I actually mean. The internet can be hard to access in a war zone, which is why you might turn to satellite internet. It's exactly what it sounds like. The internet is beamed up and down from satellites orbiting the Earth. Satellite internet isn't new, but Elon Musk's company came up with a revolutionary way to use it. Three, two,
0: one, zero. We have ignition and liftoff.
1: In the late 90s, 66 iridium satellites were launched into orbit. The first five iridium satellites... At the time, satellite internet relied on geostationary satellites that, for complicated reasons to do with gravity, have to be way further away from the Earth. 50 times further. They're so far away from the Earth, they create a delay about this long. It doesn't seem like much, but it's enough to make the internet seem agonisingly slow. Satellite's not a real solution because of latency and speed problems. Plus, you need a big satellite dish up on your roof to make them work. But Iridium satellites were different. They orbited much, much closer to the Earth, and in a pattern that meant wherever you are in the world, at least one of the satellites was overhead at all times. Thus anywhere you go in the world, you can have a pocket phone and call directly to the satellite. And you didn't need a big satellite dish. The phone's antenna could do the job. Now, mobile phones existed at this time, but you often couldn't get reception outside of major cities and international roaming charges were ridiculous. The Iridium satellite phone was the first time that someone could contact you anywhere in the world at any time. You can call, call me and the satellite will track me down. But it was a commercial disaster. The phones cost too much, thousands for each handset. Plus, each satellite could only handle 1,100 calls, which meant they were often overloaded. The calls were also super expensive. The company went bankrupt almost immediately. But the idea of a constellation of satellites covering the entire Earth didn't go away. And it was Elon Musk's company, SpaceX, that came up with the next generation. It's like Iridium, but much, much bigger. In May 2019, SpaceX started launching batches of satellites into orbit. The SpaceX has 60 satellites inside a single rocket. Each one was 260 kilograms, which is very small for a satellite and would orbit at around 500 kilometres above the Earth's surface, which is pretty close. But they weren't launching just a few dozen of them. We'll see thousands of satellites put into orbit in the next couple of years alone, forming what's called the Starlink constellation. There's now 5,000 Starlink satellites in orbit. They've solved the latency issues of geostationary satellites by being much closer to the Earth, They've partially solved the capacity issues of Iridium by having 100 times more satellites in orbit. Up to 300 megabits per
0: second. That speeds have never been experienced out in the Weigel.
1: And they've solved the cost problem by just operating at a loss. And while capacity issues still make Starlink pretty useless in cities, it's a potential game-changer for the 40% of the global population which doesn't currently have easy access to the nice big tubes that we have in cities. That's what it's designed for. It's designed to bring internet access to people who need it. People like Ukrainians suddenly cut off from the world as their country turned into a war zone. At the beginning of the 2022 invasion, Ukraine had three types of internet access. Landline, mobile, and a geostationary satellite. The first Russian cyber attack took out the satellite network. On the day of the invasion, so the 24th of February, Russia attacked the Viasat communication network in Ukraine, causing a communication outage of the whole country. That was the satellite. Bang. Gone. Before the first shot of the war was fired. Ukrainian military systems designed to operate via satellite were cooked, but surprisingly, soldiers rushing to fight the Russians on the battlefields across the country found that their mobile phones were still working. They could still use the internet. This was unexpected. Why would Russia take out the satellite, but leave the mobile network untouched? It seemed to give the Ukrainian defence an unexpected advantage – See, the Ukrainian government has an app called DIA, which stores your ID, driver's licence, tax returns and other government stuff. And it was quickly updated with features allowing Ukrainian civilians to report Russian troop movements directly to the Defence Department. So why was the internet still working? Well, the Russians needed it. Thanks to classic Soviet-style corruption – a years-long, multi-billion-dollar effort to get new, secure, long-range radios for the military had delivered nothing but fat pockets for suppliers and middle managers. Russian officers had to resort to sticking Ukrainian SIM cards in their own phones and using those phones to coordinate the attack. This Russian general admits that the phone signals of Russian soldiers allowed Ukrainian forces to target them with artillery and kill them. Eventually, after the initial attempt to capture the Ukrainian capital Kyiv failed, Russian troops withdrew to the southeast of the country. Finally, they started bombing, hacking, and jamming the Ukrainian mobile internet. Elon Musk was asked by the Ukrainian government to help. SpaceX Starlink terminals are now distributed across the country. So he swung in on a vine to rescue Ukraine. Elon Musk likes being a hero, and he doesn't really love being challenged on that. I'm sure you can remember the time that he delivered a child-sized submarine to that cave system in Thailand that professional divers could barely wriggle their way through. And then, when challenged by one of the divers on CNN, sticky submarine where it hurts, he called that guy a pedophile. But Ukraine seemed like a situation where he genuinely was the hero. Starlink was used to restore internet to towns across the country. It provided Wi-Fi on Ukrainian intercity trains, something we don't have in Australia, it's worth noting. And despite a clause in the Starlink Terms of Service stating, Starlink is not designed or intended for use with or in offensive or defensive weaponry or other comparable end uses, it was used extensively by the Ukrainian military, which Musk freely admitted.
0: Starlink today is the backbone of the Ukrainian military communications. It is still the only one that is effective at the front lines.
1: And look, I mean, who reads those terms of service things anyway? Ukraine's military uses Starlink for directing drones to help with aiming artillery strikes and for encrypted communications between soldiers and commanders. As Ukrainian forces push forward and liberate Russian-held towns, they bring Starlink terminals with them. This is an extremely unusual situation, though. You have a private American company playing a direct and pivotal role in a European war. While other military contractors are contributing to Ukraine's war effort, it's via the US government. They sell stuff to middleman Joe Biden, who then gives it to Ukraine. But Musk is in total control of his invisible space tubes, which put him in a delicate position when Ukraine needed his satellites to cry havoc and let slip the sea babies of war. Elon Musk is not a defence or foreign policy expert. He is a bit of a history buff. He knows that the Japanese attack on the US fleet in Pearl Harbour in 1941 brought the United States into World War II. A date which will live in infamy. And ultimately ended pretty badly for Japan. This was what was in his head when he started getting texts from Ukraine asking him to please, please, please turn Starlink on to help the sea babies attack the Russian fleet. Why was it in his head? Well, according to a biography just released by Walter Isaacson, the Russian ambassador to the US had told him weeks earlier that if Ukraine attacked the Russians at that port, the conflict would escalate into a nuclear war. That helped him decide. Musk told his biographer that he didn't want to be part of the next Pearl Harbor. So he made the decision not to turn on the satellites. It wasn't the only time. When Ukraine has taken territory back from Russia, they have struggled to get Starlink to follow them. Now, on the one hand, Elon Musk is a private business owner and he can do whatever he likes with his invisible tubes and massive cloud of satellites. But that doesn't mean that the Ukrainians are going to be happy about it. So what Musk
0: did, uh, from a Ukrainian perspective, is completely immoral. And uh, it was uh, working on the side of the Russian Federation.
1: Now he wasn't actively working on the side of Russia, but he was buying into their propaganda. If the Sea Babies had reached their targets, it wouldn't have led to World War Three. We know that because Ukraines hit the Black Sea Fleet several times since, and we ain't in World War Three. They were bluffing, and Musk bought it. After another chat with his mate, the ambassador. Musk pitched a peace plan that was also full of Russian propaganda. He popped a poll up on Twitter asking people to vote on his peace plan, which included Ukraine just giving up on retaking Crimea because, in his view, it was part of Russia anyway. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky responded with his own poll, asking which Elon Musk do you like more? One who supports Ukraine or one who supports Russia? Ukraine's ambassador to Germany straight up told Musk to f- Not only that, but a lot of negative press started coming out about his interactions with the Ukrainian Defence Force. He was clearly unsettled by the whole experience. In the following weeks he started complaining about having to stay involved in the war.
0: Tonight is CNN exclusive. Elon Musk's SpaceX says it's running out of money to fund the crucial satellite internet service that Ukrainian troops depend on daily in the
1: battlefield. He didn't cut them off but he does seem to have decided that it's time to let somebody else deal with it. SpaceX has announced a new thing called Starshield, which will basically allow the US military to lease any bits of the Starlink network they need, and then they can do with that whatever they wish. Good news for the sea babies. But Elon Musk is still incredibly powerful. He has his hands on all kinds of vital levers. He's the owner of the world's largest car company, He is NASA's largest contractor, and he's the owner of a social media platform that was once important and once called Twitter. Hopefully he has a better handle on cars and space than he does on social media and geopolitics. If You're Listening is written by me, Matt Bevan. Series producer is Yasmin Parry. If you like stories about space, check out our episode on the race between the superpowers to build a fuel station on the South Pole of the Moon. It's on YouTube and iView and wherever you get your podcasts. But since we're talking about foreign involvement in Ukraine, I thought it was worth letting you know about another ABC podcast from my colleague, Hamish MacDonald. It's called Take Me to Your Leader. And in the latest season, Hamish is looking to a lot of people connected with that war, including Joe Biden. In this clip from the podcast, they're talking about Joe Biden's son, Hunter, his only son following the death of Beau Biden, and how Hunter has made the president's involvement in Ukraine more complicated. Have a listen. I'll see you next week. But losing Beau was a very difficult personal moment for him. He was extremely close to his son, Beau. As we know, his other son, Hunter, was struggling with quite a lot at the time. Um, There was a moment where he was really spending a lot of time with his wife, Jill, having a, a real question about, you know, what he believed. He is a man of, of great faith. He's a very Catholic president.
0: Great grief really does rock you and, and shape you. I just, I talked to uh, the president not too long ago about losing my husband uh, 43 years in the last year, and it takes you a while to get your footing. But once you find your footing, and you create that new purpose, there's nothing that can stop you. And I think that's where Joe Biden is. It took him a little while to recover from the death of his wife and his daughter. It took him a while to recover from Bo's death. But once you find that purpose again, um, it, it's a wonderful thing. And people relate to that. I think that's what's important. Not what Hunter is dealing with, but what Joe Biden's new purpose is and how he embraces his his son Hunter
1: I'm not sure how much you've followed this Hunter Biden story, but Hunter was two years old when his sister and mother were killed in 1972. He's Joe Biden's second son, and he's actually the only surviving child from that first marriage. Hunter has had lots of trouble with drugs and alcohol abuse, and he's been embroiled, sometimes falsely, it seems, but sometimes actually, in controversies over emails on his laptop. Business interests in Ukraine as well, and he's also in court over tax avoidance and owning a gun while being a drug user.
0: We've all had difficulties in our families and and what he is doing now, I'm so proud of him and I'm so proud that he's our president.
1: But but does this history, this personal history, blind Joe Biden somewhat to, I suppose, the threat that Hunter Biden's behaviour is to his presidency if indeed he's re-elected?
0: He's his son. And he's his only remaining son. And I don't think that anybody thinks that's a threat in any way, nor should they.